sorry. Dead. 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 How do you apologize to them? I can't. Then I cannot forgive. Why are you here now, in this place, in this life? I was meant to be here. Meant? Yes. By whom? I don't know. Then how can you be sure? I don't know. No, you don't. Does it matter? What do you mean? If I believe I'm here now for a and reason. And if the world says otherwise. Then the world is wrong. And Delenn is right. Perhaps the world is right. And Delenn is wrong. What about the people you work with? The people you call friends? Are you willing to sacrifice them? What about your family? What about your God? What about truth? What about blood? What about right? What about wrong? What about your future? What about faith? What about sin? What about hell? What about death? What about death? How do you know the chosen ones? No greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his brother. Not for millions. Not for glory, not for fame, for one person in the dark where no one will ever know or see. When the darkness comes, know this, you are the right people, in the right place, at the right time. A Vorlon test of loyalty. How far are you prepared to go? is about to turn deadly. Leave her alone. Your turn now. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, part of NPR Illinois Community Voices and the Front Row Network. We are here tonight to discuss Comes the Inquisitor, where absolutely nothing major happens at all, and none of our newbies are going to have any character issues whatsoever. You may have noticed I am not Scott this evening. He is lost in the hyperspace that is New Orleans right now, and we hope he makes it back safely to us at some point, either beyond the rim or even next week. Time will tell. First up, we've got Jesse with our synopsis. Kosh tests Delenn's allegiance while Jakar attempts to bring his people together on Babylon 5. That might be the most to the point uh, synopsis we have ever had. And I'll add to that, that uh, and a uh, unknown uh, gentleman comes to the uh, Babylon 5 station to uh, have a short discussion with Delenn. That's Kosh testing to Lynn's allegiance. Yeah, it's she said all that. Summed up in that That's one exactly step. what Jesse said in not so many words. 
I guess I missed. All right. I'm, I'm, I must be zoning out more than I usually do. I'm sorry, Jesse. On this week's episode of Gray 17, we have Kevin mansplaining to Jesse. Oh, God. I just walked into that one. Damn it, Kevin. That was a daddy move. I must have very much just completely zoned out. How dare you, man? All I heard was was the Narn stuff. And I was like, what? They skipped over the other part. No, I'm just not listening. Sorry, Jesse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you for that synopsis, uh, Jesse, and that explanation, Kevin. Again, I am Blake. And with me tonight, we have... Nicole. Emily. Justin. Kevin. Jesse. And Andrew. So let's go ahead and jump in with our first impressions for this week's episode. Folks, I hope you at home have your yarn and tinfoil handy. I have a feeling it might just be coming out this week. So let's go ahead and jump straight to Justin. Yeah. uh, Holy shit. What a twisty episode, right? Honestly, I can't. I don't have anything negative to say about this episode at this point. It was definitely a... Very meaty roller coaster of emotions episode with both plot points, both with the Inquisitor and with uh and and with Jakar. And I thought really the acting was Chef's Kiss. I mean, it was really on par. I absolutely love the the actor who played the Inquisitor. I still think I know him from somewhere, but I honestly cannot for the life of me figure it out. But I thought that he did great. I thought Delen was awesome i thought jakar was awesome you know sheridan was sheridan but you know and i'm really intrigued by the sebastian character and his little backstory that we'll get into uh a little bit later but there's only actually one thing that i'm disappointed in uh with this episode to be honest with you and when the gate popped open and another vorlon ship got through i got a little semi because i thought we were going to get more vorlons I was really super excited. I want more Vorlons. And then some crumply, wrinkled old guy gets off the damn ship and we go from there. But more Vorlons. But other than that, I love the episode. And that's all I'll say for right now. At at some point, Justin, where you're going to have to discuss the fact that a uh, Vorlon ship gave you a semi. That that we're going to have to discuss that at some point. Everybody's got a kink, Blake. Everybody's got a kink. Don't judge me for mine. But moving on from that, how about Jesse? What are your first impressions? I loved this episode. I realized that we're, it's the second to the last, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, and I was like, holy shit, we're super close. And then like all hell broke loose. Um, I think my favorite part of the whole episode was the elevator scene with Veer and Jakar. It just was so dope. And it was like, I, I watched the whole episode and I just enjoyed all of it. Um, again, you know, me and my past, this has been a journey and I felt like I just had a really good time in the, in the episode and I enjoyed it a lot. Andrew. Yeah. So I'll be, uh, totally honest. I, uh, was not into, uh, Sebastian or the Inquisitor, uh, at first thought he was like kind of overly cartoony for what they were going for with his presentation and, uh, the getup. But then as the episode went on, yeah, he was, uh, genuinely terrifying. And I will just go ahead and say, as the episode went on, I kind of guessed the, the twist there at the end of who he really was. And Emily. All right. I didn't like it. I am not a fan of this episode. Where are my pearls? <laughs> the acting was fantastic. It's not that. Um, 
I have a problem with the Borlon working with Jack the Ripper because that's who he was. And I caught, like, as soon as they showed the Victorian hat and I heard the cane, I was like, ooh, are we doing Moriarty, like a la Sherlock Holmes, or are we doing Jack the Ripper? Because it's going to be one of the two. And they went with the worst. <laughs> but yeah, not, not a big fan of this episode. And Nicole, first impressions. So my first impression on this episode was, damn. (laughs) I really thought this was a pretty packed episode. Um, I really hated the Inquisitor. He was just evil. And I really hated um, the way he was treating Delenn. Um, But I got to say, if anyone ever questioned if Delenn was a bad bitch and they haven't seen this episode, they will know that she is after this episode. Um. I also really loved the Delenn Sheridan dynamic at the end. Yes, I'm shipping. I know, but I can't help it. Um, And then um, what I really liked, too, was uh, we saw Jakar a lot in this episode as well. He had a lot of glimmers of hope, and I I feel like things are turning around for him in the sense of obviously they're fighting to get their freedom back. But I feel like he feels a lot more hopeful. And this episode was kind of a culmination of that. And I just thought that was really cool to kind of see, you know, a little bit of I don't want to say joy, but like hope coming from him because it's been so bleak. But yeah, overall, I thought this was a really good episode. I think it answered a lot of questions. Once again, JMS uh, given us a little nuggets here and there. Um, and I really think that it gave us some things to think about with the Vorlons and their role in all of this. So Um, And I really have a lot to say about the twist at the very, very end, but I'll save that till we get into our discussion. So let's switch over to our uh, other first one that we have this evening. Were you about to at at me, Kevin? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't Uh, know what you're talking about at all. Let's switch over to our other first one that's with me tonight. As you may have noticed, we are also absent Mike. So the two first ones around are Kevin and I. Kevin, what have you got for first impressions on Comes the Inquisitor? I love this episode. Wayne Alexander is fantastic. I love the plot twist at the end. The scene with Veer and and Chakar in the elevator is um, very, very moving. Um, And it really gets to really both of their characters so very well in that very little snippet. Um, cause it, that scene isn't that long, but, uh, it, it really tells, a tells a big tale right there in that elevator. Um, I think, um, the, the acting is amazing in this episode, uh, particularly Mira Furlong, um, Sheridan is good. Uh, Box Lightner is good. Um, Jakar is fantastic in this episode, um, as he always is. Um, but this is a favorite episode of mine. If I... If I'm watching, you know, any any episode, you know, skip through and skipping some, there's no way I'm skipping this episode. Absolutely not. This is a fantastic episode. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, and I'll agree. This is also one of my favorites. And, and I cannot say one scene makes this episode my favorite. And it is that one with Jakar in that elevator scene with Veer. And just the, you know, intensity of that where he cuts and just goes dead, dead, dead. And they actually talked about that at uh, one of the panels they did. I think it was the Phoenix Comic-Con. We've referenced back to that one a few times before. Stephen First was talking about that scene and how hard it was for him because Andreas Katsoulis had that intensity with that scene. The Stephen First said by the end of it, he was broke down in the corner of the elevator crying, I'm sorry, forgive me, it wasn't my fault. 
because of the intensity that Andreas Katsoulis portrayed that scene with. So just the power of that scene right there makes us one of my favorite episodes uh, in the thing. Justin, I believe you have a response for Emily. It's not that the Vorlons are working with a notorious serial, serial killer, because honestly, I had that oh shit moment too towards the end. I, I guess I didn't see it coming until he kind of like, it all kind of came together at the end as Jack was leaving. But it kind of makes sense to where when he was saying, they found me, they picked me up, they showed me the error of my ways, and he has spent 400 years atoning has for his sins. Or has he just been doing the same thing for a different group and trying to think of himself as being better? He's still out there torturing people. And he was in basically intending to kill her. He didn't think she'd survive. He thought she was going to die. But he- the Vorlons picked him up for a specific purpose, and that was to find the people that would fight off the dark ones. And even he said, I have a, you know, I don't want to sit there and quote Liam Neeson, but basically they told him you have a very specific set of skills that, (laughs) that we think that we need to use for this. But I don't know. I don't, I think, I, I think that he saw the error of his ways and saw where he was wrong. And I'm, I'm willing to give him a second chance in this. You're nicer than I am then, or more naive. I don't know. Maybe both. <laughs> no, nope. probably both. Probably both. nobody is disputing that he is a bad dude. Nobody. He's a bastard. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm just saying that, I don't know. I, I, I really don't think that he's, maybe he, maybe he's just trying to do right in the universe by what, what he did earlier on. I don't know. But I don't think he's one. Nobody's 100 percent good. Nobody's 100 percent evil. And I think or, maybe he or maybe he's manipulated by the Vorlons who don't want to get their hands dirty. So he feels better about what he does. That's honestly possibly true as well. Now, just but... get the hat out. All right. We've got Nicole with a question. Please, Nicole, tell me you're not about to ship Sebastian. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. OK, good. Okay. Just checking. So. When I lived in Springfield still, I was in a play. Uh, This woman from Springfield, who is an author, wrote a story of Jack the Ripper's murders from the women he murdered's perspective uh, as their spirits. So basically, my role was one of the women he murdered that was a prostitute because he murdered a bunch of prostitutes as well as like, you know, other people. So um what it was was all of us had like these big monologues and we each had a story and like it gave these women like a backstory so i kind of feel like whenever he said his name uh and then 1880 whatever year he said england i was like are they gonna pull a jack the ripper like and as i watched him and thinking about that story and that play that i was in um, I was like watching the way he conducted himself with her and he had like a sadistic, sick enjoyment out of like tormenting her. And I was like, this motherfucker is Jack the Ripper. And then at the end, when he said that, I was like, oh, hell no. I'm like yelling at the screen. And I just knew it. I had like a gut feeling. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they went there. I do think it was a pretty cool twist to add in 
um, because that is a story that most people in the world are familiar with. So I thought it was kind of cool how JMS kind of put that in there and made it relevant to the story. However, he was a total dick weasel and I didn't like him. I I do remember him saying at the end that he spent 400 years atoning and he was trying to do whatever. But the reality is, is that like Liam Neeson quote, you know, he has a specific set of skills and that is torturing, tormenting, inflicting pain. And he like sadistically enjoyed it. You could see it on his face. So I thought that was fucked up, (laughs) but I just, I don't know. I, I, I had a gut feeling when they said the year and the name and Sheridan was looking into it. And then just the way that he acted, um, it was crazy. So I just, I had a little bit of a, I guess a um, different reaction just because I, you know, I played one of his victims in a show. So I thought it was kind of, kind of a different perspective that I can throw in there. Kevin, I got to walk a line here. Um, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I honestly don't think that her life was truly in danger. I think the the way in which he, yes, tortured her was all bait to get Sheridan into the room. Um, and it worked to that extent and to ensure that they're, you know, obviously both going to be able to handle what's to come. But it the only the only wish that I had for this episode was that they had one more scene with Sheridan because it felt like that part of the interrogation was too short to me. Um, I wish that had been a little longer, but I also don't want to take anything away from Mira Furlong's scenes in this either, because that was so powerful. I, I don't want that to be lessened, but I feel like, you know, bringing Sheridan in was almost an afterthought to the writing. And I wish that hadn't quite been the case, but so that's, that's how I feel about this, you know, is that it was, it was meant as a test for both of them. Yes. A very sadistic test by a very sadistic jackass, but um, I think the acting is so good in this episode. Um, and it, it, it's just, I, I hesitate to say it's a joy to watch, but when you when you really focus on the acting in this episode, it really is. Well, I think some of it's the nature of the test, too, because they're examining these two people who are going to be the leaders of this army of, you know, whatever to fight this coming darkness. And Delin believes she has a destiny. And the Inquisitor and Sebastian makes this comment a few times. You think you're special. You know, you could stop this now because you have a destiny. The gods will come down and save you. And, and I think that's where his skill set gets in is, you know, he believed that of himself, too. And the Vorlons clearly pointed out differently that are these the people to in the right time, in the right place for the right reason? So it's a little uh, interesting. So I'm going to switch over to Nicole. I didn't think about the fact that he was trying to get Sheridan in the room. I just thought he walked in and was like, oh, now it's your turn, you know. But that makes a lot of sense because at the end, they both passed the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just didn't think about that. So when you said that, Kevin and, and Blake, from what you just said, that really made me think, oh, damn, maybe maybe he was there to also test Sheridan. But they just didn't say that because we didn't, you know, like maybe the, he wasn't the main target, you know, but like also two birds with one stone kind of thing. Um, but that's a really great point that I didn't even think about until you just said that. I have one more quick thing. I also believe that he knew that Lanier was in that room and couldn't have cared less. That wasn't his target. Sheridan and and Delenn were his targets. Andrew. Um, yeah, I had a, a similar uh 
thought process as I was watching the episode as Kevin. I thought it, the test was just all about Sebastian just uh, basically fucking with Delenn uh, and her, whether or not she uh, and it was just going to go on to a certain point to where she would uh, pass the test. Uh, and then also another thing I wanted to go ahead and point out, the trial took place in grade 19, I noticed. But it also looked very similar to uh, where the Grey Council meetings are held. So, any connection there? Or... Save money beyond on the satisfied. rim. Got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll find talk out about beyond that the... beyond the rim, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm gonna, before I jump back to Kevin, I'm going to give a quote here from the interrogation uh, part, and it's you know, how do you know the chosen ones? No greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his brother. Not for millions, not for glory, not for fame, for one person in the dark where no one will ever know or see. You know, that that was the test. Sheridan came in there to save Delenn, and Delenn was prepared to sacrifice herself to save Sheridan. No one ever would have known. There never would have been glory or anything in it, but that was the test. Kevin? The other thing I wanted to say about this is it doesn't give you all that much insight into Sheridan, but it gives you a ton of insight into Delenn. It shows you her personality. It shows you her outlook on things. It shows you how selfless she is. Um, it is it is an amazing episode if you're a if you're a Delenn person. Um, and it's it's heartbreaking. She goes through hell in this episode, but it it sure is worth the journey in the end as far as being a, a viewer of the show. Yeah. Nicole. So I just wanted to comment um, on the two scenes that I really thought were super, super impactful in this episode. We kind of touched on them in our first impressions, but um the scene with Garibaldi and Jakar, um, a couple things I took away from that was he said that, you know, he, Jakar said to Garibaldi, you don't come and ask these questions unless you already know the answer. And he's like, I do know the answer. And he basically helped Jakar obtain these weapons, but not through Babylon 5 because he didn't want the weapons there. Right. So when he asked him, why did you help me? He goes, because you didn't lie to me. And he had that smile. It just warmed my heart so much. And I thought it was really cool because, you know, previously Garibaldi and Londo were buddies and they were pretty close and, and friends. I've never really seen and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing a real impactful scene and conversation between Garibaldi and Shakar. So I thought that was really cool. And then obviously the Jakar and Veer scene in the elevator, you know, you can tell Veer felt uncomfortable and he didn't know what to say. And Blake, what you had said about him, like crying in real life, like in the corner, like because he was so wrecked from that scene. I literally had tears in my eyes watching that. Like when he had the blood, and he's like dead, dead, dead. And you could just see Veer's face. I think that scene was probably some of the best acting I've ever seen, period. Like it was so good. And you really see a glimpse of their characters and their empathy and who they are because Veer, he might be a Centauri, but he does not agree with Londo and he's not happy about this situation. And you can see that like coming out of him when he's talking to Jakar because how many other Centauris would apologize? You know what I mean? They'd be like, well, you're lost. Sucks to be you, you know? So he's just so empathetic and it just made me really love Veer's character so much more. And then obviously Jakar just, you know, I think a little bit, of him wanted to forgive Veer because he knows Veer is a good guy. And you can see that on his face too, but he couldn't. He's like, I can't accept your apology, even if he wanted to a little bit, you know? And I just thought those two scenes were so um, crucial in what I think is next for the Narn and also just 
beautifully done more so the veer and, and jakar scene um but you know i gotta rep my man garibaldi because i love him so um but yeah i just thought um I, I feel like those two scenes and interactions were a turning point and I could be completely wrong, which I'm sure you'll discuss beyond the rim, <laughs> but I feel like this is going to be a change. Like something is going to change and like, there's going to be a, a motion forward after those two interactions. Nicole, I've just got to ask, is this going to be the first episode where we don't have someone shipped? <clears throat> oh no, I'm shipping Delenn and, and uh, Sheridan. I wrote down literally, when Sheridan says to Delenn, asking isn't the problem, not for you. I literally wrote a heart and I highlighted it because I'm still shipping them hardcore. So, you know, shipping and there is a shady count in this one because obviously Sebastian Jack the Ripper is shady as hell. So this one is really hitting all the bells and whistles for me. I just wanted to double check. Justin. Honestly, I do have to also join Nicole in shipping Delenn and Sheridan in this episode because... When Jack turns around and says, who is he to you? And she screams, that is none of your concern. I'm like, boom, they're totally into it. Like, and even like they, they even said, like, both of them have said, none of your business, what we are to each other. And that, that to me screams everything. They love each other. Sorry. (laughs) Be honest, just, I'm a little surprised, not so much surprised that you jumped on the shipping bandwagon, but. You know, I know before we got started, you pulled out your tinfoil hat. So I know you have it there with you. It is here. I'm a little bit surprised you've not jumped into the whole idea of the Vorlons on Earth and what that means. Oh, I'm coming to that later. I've got a full fucking page of notes about that, my friend. We have okay, not, so I'm not going to be disappointed then is what you're saying. <laughs> Correct. I've been waiting I've got all a lot to say about Justin's that. conspiracy theories on Borlons and the Victorian yeah. era. I, I I was saving that uh, for, for questions and predictions, but we can get there okay. whenever you want. We'll, we'll get there in a few. So anyone else have anything on Jack the Ripper coming and inquisiting? Should I mansplain again? I'm just... Please do, Kevin. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. I think we've done enough mansplaining tonight. That's why the viewers love us here at the Gray 17 uh Babylon 5 podcast. Do they though? Do they? Is it ever really enough though? We'll let Kevin explain why. Mansplaining and angry lesbians. This is going to be around a while. We we have mansplaining. We have angry lesbians. We have (laughs) anybody and everybody we can think of. How we have viewers is beyond us. But and we're just we're just all woke as fuck. So. Mike's not here, so I need to say butthole at least once. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll chalk one up on the butthole count. All right, so we've kind of talked about uh, Jack the Ripper and coming to visit the Lynn and do that whole thing, but let's dig a little bit more into the Narn piece because we're getting a little bit more into the Narn conflict after that last episode because really where we left off last time was that just powerhouse scene of Londo just screaming now to have Jakar removed from the council chambers. And Sheridan told him that he would help where he could, but we kind of see that come out now, right? We see that help manifest itself um, because Jakar needs a favor. He needs to solidify his support with the Narns on the station. And he gets that this time by uh, getting some messages through. So Justin, let's talk Jakar and Narns. I mean, you can honestly see at the beginning of the episode, uh, Jakar was struggling to have his voice heard. There's really not many people on the station that I think is willing to listen to him outside of the Narns. And at that point, the really the Narns aren't even really, you know, wanting to listen to him a whole lot. And 
I thought it was very interesting just the lengths that Jakar had to go through just to prove himself to his own people um, and have to go through and call in and call in all of his favors with Sheridan to get the Rangers to go down there and get some kind of confirmation that people are alive and people are well and stuff like that. So Jakar's situation, even though like I still feel Jakar's situation among even his own people is kind of tenuous even after everything that he's gone through to prove himself that I can, I can lead us, I can lead the resistance. And, you know, yes, they, they say that they're with him now, but I have a funny feeling it's going to end up being a, what have you done for me lately situation? And I think that I I, I have a bad feeling that that Jakar is always going to be on the defensive and he's always going to have to prove his ability to lead and he's proven it over and over in my eyes, but I just think he's always going to be kind of on a very thin, uh, thin sheet of ice uh, with his own people. But it's, I really, I it's in terms of the whole resistance thing. I really think that I'll save some of it for questions and predictions, but I kind of agree. I can't remember who said it kind of earlier, but I, I, I really agree that we're going to see a lot more of Babylon 5 personnel become emotionally and personally invested in the Narn resistance, just like we saw. Actually, it was Nicole. Nicole said something about it with Garibaldi. I think that we're going to see a lot more uh, B5 personnel become a lot more personally invested in the Narn resistance. Jesse, what do you got? So you said um, you mentioned the Rangers. And as somebody who routinely every single day in my job yells down the hall, it's sink or swim time. Um, that's exactly what they did today with the Rangers. Like, he's like, well, if they're not ready now, when are they ever going to be? Let's go. Like, and I literally yelled sink or swim time, bitches. Like, I definitely <laughs> think that it was a good episode for Sheridan to help out. I agree with you, Justin. I definitely think that we're going to see more of that. And, you know, it, it I pained me a little when I saw that the other Narns didn't fully trust him when he was trying to lead that front. And it's like you, they didn't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't know how much support he has from Sheridan and the other people on Babylon 5. So it's, it was definitely a little disheartening to see them make him prove himself when I feel like he's been doing that since day one. But mm-hmm. it was... um yeah, it's kind of strange to watch. Well, I think this is that shift, too, that we've seen. I mean, we think back to Jakar and the gathering mm-hmm. and what some of your initial thoughts were of Jakar to now being in a position where he goes in and he asks for this favor. Yeah. But not only does he ask for it, he gets it. Yeah. The bad he, guy. Yeah. I because mean, they understand. I mean, the character arc that we've seen so far has just been tremendous yeah. and the range that he's got to play with that. Absolutely. Cause that's, we, I think we said that a couple of weeks ago, he was the bat, you know, we, we were talking about how terrible he was and how we didn't like him because he was sneaky and this, that, and the other. And I would take him over Londo every day of the week now. Well, that's one of the things that, you know, they said it as a line of dialogue in the gathering that no one on this station is exactly as who they see. Mm. And I think now we're starting to see that more and more that that prophetic language within that episode from the gathering and one of the things on the usenet and i'm curious to get our newbies thoughts on this because you've all seen the vorlons for a little while and you've had some mixed opinions on the vorlons apparently you know some of you think they're shady as fuck justin apparently give a semi to you know not (laughs) but justin did name that but 
One of the things that came up. I on stand the, by my comments. I stand by my comments. You like one the shape of the vessel. Yeah. The vessel. He he could use a vessel for that particular problem. <laughs> but one of the things that came up on the Usenets back in the day was that these weren't. This was not what the Vorlon should have been. Everyone thought, oh, this isn't characteristic for the Vorlons to do something like this. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. If you kind of had that same idea that this was out of character for the Vorlons, or you just thought this is just the Vorlons being the Vorlons. How is it out of character when they like unilaterally decide to murder somebody? They're like, oh, well, you guys are going to talk about this and we're just going to go blow up the ship while you guys are all having your little. Mm-hmm. Are we bringing up Death Walker again? Don't we always? They've made unilateral decisions. Right. They don't seem to give a shit. So this just kind of seems to fall in line with that. He was willing to kill the Lynn. Like, he's like, yeah, if you survive they've been working together and you're just ready to like dispose of her. If she's not the one, like it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Justin's going to have a little aneurysm. Justin, shoot your shot. He was not going to let Delenn die. I really don't believe that. So you think he knew? We, I think he knew. I think it was, let's call it tough love. Okay, but but follow that through. So you're talking about how great he is, but he's willing to literally almost let her die. He said, I can feel he your heart. He was not going to let her die. He's, he said, I can feel your heart in my hand and I can end it right now. He literally put her through trauma, like traumatized this woman to the Posh point where would he, not have let her die. But I really but, don't. So he'll let her suffer, though. That doesn't mm, you're not making a case for this being the good guy. suffering for the cause. Every for every cause you have to suffer and you have to sacrifice. And that, that was just like a demonstration me. that they're willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, as both Delenn and Sheridan both said they're willing to give their lives for the cause. Even Delenn said, if I fall, another one would take my place, and then another, and then another. So, like it's I I it's I, it, because I, I really don't think Kosh would have let them die because I think deep down he knew that they were the right people. So then it why was just do a that? demonstration. So, oh, so just, just torture them to torture them just for the sake of torturing them. Because all knowing Kosh, if Kosh knew already, then he wouldn't, that was all for nothing. Literally all just to make her suffer. I'm going to go back to prove a point. Yeah, and I'm, before I go to Emily, I'm going to give another quote uh, from the end of the episode there and it's when the darkness comes know this you are the right people in the right place at the right time i don't think kosh needed to know that i think they needed to know that but then just tell them well sometimes <laughs> you that wouldn't have had the same thing if i if if i were to walk up to you jesse and be like you got a special destiny boo would you you're, honestly like justin yeah, this, is the wrong right, exa- this is the wrong example justin because jesse's gonna say you're fucking right i do <laughs> But would that have the same impact as if you had to go through a trial by fire to prove it to yourself? She's already accepted his knowledge when before Chrysalis when they were talking about, is it time? And yes. And she's like, okay. So let's do it. Like, yeah, you are the right person. She'd be like, okay. Right. Fucking but right no, I am. That's literally what she said before she even changed into a human-ish. Ish. Ish. Emily, what have you got for us? Um, are we going to talk about where Jack the Ripper got his little heart squeezy power from that was very reminiscent of Psycor? 
You could have brought this up at any point in time, Emily. Because I'm concerned about where he got that power from. Like, did someone give it to him? It's all in his cane. Did Marlon give it to him? <laughs> That's what I'm going with. Not... Marlon gave it to him. Because yeah. uh, so they can just give someone that kind of ability, like psycho Have you seen any evidence no. that says they can't? Just I want to raise my hand. Hold a little on. concerned about their uh, level of skill here. Justin, before you spray something all over the place there, buddy, go ahead. It's, I really don't believe um, that it's a, it's a Psycor thing for one second. I think all of his power is in his cane. I really don't think he has the telepathic ability to reach I out to squeeze. I didn't say it was I said it was like Psycor's ability. Not that it came from them. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's any kind of telepathic ability. I think it's all just his entire power is in the cane. And I think really it's, I mean, to me, really the cane is nothing more than an intergalactic cattle prod. If you want to think about it that way. I mean, that's fair. Wow. We have intergalactic cattle prod showing up on the uh, show. And that I will say for those, we have a couple of people on here who are uh, Star Trek fans. And one of the things that came up on the Usenet questions kind of in regards to that was Sebastian, a form of a takeoff on cue. Uh, with that kind of power oh. that actually came up on the use desk to which JMS firmly and swiftly stomped that theory with a boot. Uh, so the answer was no, uh, Sebastian had nothing to do with Q um, or anything like that. It was just uh, he has his own thing and can do whatever. So that wasn't really a connection. He didn't really explain it, but he did pretty much stamp on that. There was like a supernatural quality to him. So I, I would tend to agree the, the powers in the stick. Well, and that's even he said, even Sebastian said himself in the episode, I really don't think there was anything supernatural about him because he's he's used when he's needed and he's preserved when he's not. So, mm-hmm. like, if he's not needed, they dump him into some kind of deep freeze or some kind of suspended animation until he's needed again. So that's why, because that was my first question in watching this is like, how has he lived for this many years? Is he immortal? Or, but I, th- I I really think that it's a matter of, okay, he's brought out of suspended animation or deep freeze whenever he's needed, and then he just drops right back in. So you're hoping that there's some torture involved with that, that time in, in the deep freeze, but anyhow, it is definitely hard, hard to watch at times on, on this episode with you know the the level of trauma that he does put her through i i, I grant that completely um and i i do kind of agree with justin that you know some sometimes there's there's um some form of personal growth and value in in a struggle not this level certainly but it is a very difficult thing to go through trauma but it's almost more difficult to see someone you care for going through struggle. And I think there is more to this with the dynamic between um, between Sheridan and Delenn um, as, as far as, you know, was, was the, the, the struggle that he put her through more important or was it um, putting a dynamic in place where the, seeing seeing how the two of them would operate together so he tortures the woman to get a response from the guy to check their relationship and form a trauma bond (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Emily, that's you. That's obviously what I was just about to say. Us all think way too hard and way too good about any of this stuff. And well, thank you, <laughs> Justin. You had your hand up. Bonded by. Well, God. honestly, it was what I was going to say is what Emily actually put so succinctly that I don't know if I can actually uh, word it better, but I think honestly, at the end of the day, it was. It was him trying to draw the sacrifice out, you know, where like, okay, I'm going to present you with a situation. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for this person to where finally she said yes? And I think Emily hit it right on the head where, you know, you're going to use the women as bait to draw the guy out. And then when the guy's on the line, then the woman's willing to sacrifice herself. And, you know, it's fucked up. I think he's a fucking asshole. Oh yeah, we all agree. On I that. agree. We all agree on that. <laughs> he's a fucking he's a, asshole. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> so, but, so here's but, a question. But the, I guess through. the question is, you know, like, how does that fit into the dynamic with the Vorlons? You know, does does that automatically make them villains? Does it make them, you know, less in your mind? How how does that translate to your view of the Vorlons now? Well, I'm going to add a layer to the question too. Is you know, this, we've got Mr. Borden running around who we, we've discussed at length being the Shadows version of a meat puppet. It's also a fucking who, asshole. Who's also a fucking asshole. Absolutely. Is Sebastian a Vorlon meat puppet? I mean, is that what we're Absolutely. Looking at Absolutely. If they take him out of, if they thaw him out to go and torture people and then they put him back in, like he's an absolute meat puppet. Oh, want some tinfoil? Oh, that's what we we've been waiting all damn episode for emily get call, out that tin call fedex let's so get some when tin he's foil. not being in use enjoying his ability to torture people most likely women because we know that's what he gets off on he's in some little like vorlon pod like they had the president's doctor in to try to like hide him from all the sensor sweeps and the little thing and like the ship is singing to him Mm -hmm. that's what he's doing when he's not torturing people and they use that to uh manipulate him in some way since apparently that song whatever it is sticks in people's heads there you go let's hope they're yelling at him for 400 years they're just making him slowly go more insane by you know having that incessant song in his head when he's not torturing people Andrew, anything you want to add over there about torture, meat puppets? Look perplexed down there in the bottom corner of my screen. I think he was just doing a job, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) The Nuremberg defense. Here we go. The Nuremberg defense. (laughs) There we go. I was I was trying to get someone to say it. Was just doing what he was told. I was just following orders. Yep. Andrew, do you want to discuss buttholes? (laughs) <laughs> not particularly okay. scott you can cut um, that out no i don't think i will jesse jesse there are some no, scott, places where that question is considered inappropriate this is not one of those places the more tame discussions we would have yeah all those in okay. favor of scott leaving this in signify by saying i scott would also like to add that Justin and Kevin are absolutely wrong. Jesse and Emily are absolutely right. Delan and Sheridan could have died. And Jack the Ripper's an asshole. Back to the show. 
Okay, before we jump into questions and predictions, first, is there any other wrap-up on the Narn, Sebastian, the Vorlons, the Linichard, anything we want to wrap up on any of those? And then I've got another question I want to especially have our newbies answer before we jump into questions and predictions. Garibaldi helping Jakar with uh, smuggling the weapons in. Yeah. There's a discussion to be had there. Yeah. Just start us off there. I, I didn't actually have anything. That was just so Garibaldi <laughs> is helping Jakar smuggle weapons. There you go, Andrew. We got you. But he's very smart with his le- illegal dealings. Yeah, don't do it on my <laughs> not in my backyard. From a security perspective, that was brilliant because now he knows how they're being smuggled, and it's not on his station. I mean, right? Wait. I. Emily, did you just find that Garibaldi did something smart as a security chief? Oh, I think Garibaldi is actually a really good security chief. I think he acts like he isn't, so people don't realize how much he actually knows. I think I said that in the last episode. It's like uh, it's like that fan theory of uh, for Kevin on The Office. If any of you are familiar with that, Mm-mm. same same idea that Kevin just acts like an idiot, but oh. not, not our Kevin. The <laughs> No, I knew what you meant. No, it's like the Colum- it's like the Colombo defense. You know, you, you know the guy's actually really good, but he acts like he isn't that good. And then right at the end, you realize, ah, shit, he's got me. He's really good. You have to you have to play dumb because if like Jakar literally said it, he summed it up again. I don't know if everybody's listened to my interview, but as a snake milker, you have to. Uh, <laughs> play really dumb and make people think that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about so when jakar was like listen garibaldi let's just skip to the part where you you know let's fast forward through you you know asking questions that you don't know the answer to blah 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 like he knew the answer he was asking questions i'm not asking questions i don't know the answer to what do i want to look stupid for but you have to act like you're stupid because like oh don't tell me or tell me it's fine either way like you have to know and he knew and and Jakar's like, let's do it. Like, let's just skip past all this shit. So you can't be smarter than the people you're trying to. I haven't said anything about that scene, but it's it's definitely one of my all-time favorite Garibaldi scenes in the Love entire it. series. Love it. It's super accurate, like in my day-to-day life. As a snake milker. As a snake milker. You have to fool the snake. If they think that you're going to milk them, they're not going to let you. They're going to bite you. Justin, anything you want to add about steak milking or any other topics? Well, the best time to do it is in the morning. I'm 100% terrified of snakes. So nowhere ever will I go anywhere near anything where a snake is being milked. And Sean's like, like of all the professions you possibly could have chose, that's the one that you picked. That's the one you go with. I will. I. Do you think so? I am, that from? is the only thing in this universe that I'm a, deathly afraid of. So, well, there's milk a good all thing the snakes you want. Just keep it away from me. It's a good thing there's people like me who aren't afraid to milk them. You know what? Whatever you got to do, just do it. God damn it. So, I, I think we've officially talked this episode about as far as we can go since we're now on the <laughs> subject of snake milking. But as I mentioned, I have one question I want to ask our newbie. So we're actually recording this on May 3rd. And a little thing happened in the Babylon 5 universe this morning. Uh, we saw the white smoke come up from JMS's chimney for an announcement that he's been teasing us with for months. And, and we finally have the white smoke. We know what this is going to be. 
He has told us, and and thing is, this is done. You know, it's not entering production. It's they've made it. It's done. It's ready to go. A Babylon Five animated movie with the surviving original cast. So I would love to hear from our four newbies. You know, now that you are near the end of season two, um, obviously they've not announced a title or anything what it's about yet. We just know this is coming. What do you all think about this idea of a Babylon Five animated movie? Uh, plus the news that JMS has said, if this takes off, there's potential plans for more of this to come. So, Justin, what do you got? Can we watch it? No. 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 TBD. That's your thought. You. Uh, oh, good. Another thing that we can't watch. You know we can't watch it. Right. Right. But that's the whole thing. Like, so why tease us with something that we can't watch until like two fucking years from now? Well, really, there, we don't know that you can't watch it yet because we also don't know when it's going to come out. We don't know what the setting or anything will be. I mean, it, it's theoretically possible, depending on where in universe is set, it, it will determine when you can watch it. Right. I, honestly, I am I am all over it. I, I'm super excited. Honestly, I I want to watch it. I want to I will. I would love to actually have us record an episode about it eventually down the line and incorporate it into our podcast. I would love to, you know, experience it. I'm super stoked, but at the same time, the other part of me goes, how long do I have to wait? Well, I think do that's I the beauty of just being animation is it doesn't tie itself, you know, because with the age of the actors, there's nothing that says that this story will take place after the five-year run of the series. No, I get it. I get it. And if it takes place earlier on and there's nothing spoilery and we can watch it, then fantastic. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get super excited about it until I know when I can watch it. That's my viewpoint. Yeah, it just means the first one a holes are gonna get to watch it before we do, as per usual. And <laughs> we'll just have to wait for them to be able to, you know, herd the goats towards the movie if we're allowed to watch it eventually you will be two and a half more years yeah it depends on when they set the thing yeah because there, there have been some ideas floated that potentially you, you could uh, it's all going to depend we'll know in about a week what the actual ideas are going to be i'm excited i think it's cool i think it's a cool concept and um it's not what i expected i honestly expected something completely different so i think it's i think it's cool i can't wait to see what it looks like in three years and I, and I think that's the key is, you know, would you have ever thought when we started this back with season one that you would be excited for an animated movie of this? No, I've been like, that's stupid. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If you had asked me that after the gathering, I'd been like, fuck that. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and here we are. I won't comment. You love it. You I love won't comment it. on the Babylon 5 stuff with this, but I've often wished that they would have done that in the um star wars universe for a story like shadows of the empire or heir to the empire or a couple of couple of the other uh things that have you know subsequently been retconned because um you know they they didn't necessarily have uh especially now all the actors you know that they would be able to to utilize for those so you know, animation allows you to, you know, fill in, you know, different voices where you don't have those original actors available. And so I'm really excited. I hope it's going to be really good. But I, I wish that Star Wars had had done something with that earlier on. It would have been uh, really cool to see Shadows of the Empire. Well, and I kind of think apart, it's the success of things like Prodigy and Lower Decks may have helped open the doors for this, too, uh, with with Warner Brothers taking a closer look at animation. Yeah, I mean, it's infinitely cheaper to do a show. Emily, Andrew, any thoughts? And then we will jump into questions and predictions. 
I'd just be interested to see uh, the style of animation, like if it'll be like the traditional hand-drawn, or I really hope it's not CG, but I don't know. My, my preference is hand-drawn. All right. So we will see what uh, gets announced over the next few weeks. We will obviously tell you what we can tell you, and hopefully we can get into this sooner. I, for one, hope this is a story we can get into sooner rather than later. I, I really, really do. Great. Uh, but let's start off for our questions and predictions this time with our most stepped on cast member, Andrew. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Three predictions. Uh, no questions, just three predictions. Jakar will be caught with the weapons smuggling thing and will face trial. Delen will sacrifice herself during the coming war, thereby saving everyone. And Londo will find out about Garibaldi sm- assisting in Jakar's smuggling and will turn on Babylon 5, resulting in another war. All right. And Emily? Um, no predictions. Just one question. Will Veer continue to work for Londo, or will he have enough at some point and say, fuck you, I'm done? Damn it, Emily. <laughs> and Jesse? I My only prediction was that Veer is going to kill Londo. I'm fucking that's all you got for us that's it like i as watching veer apologize to jakar my brain was like oh well you know that makes me think that one day he's gonna help jakar he's gonna he's gonna switch over and realize the you know the error of his ways and then my brain was like oh he's gonna kill londo oh feed him some intel that would be interesting yeah and nicole how about any questions or predictions okay so my question is did the Inquisitor go off to die, essentially, because he said that he had done 400 years of service and Delenn was his last person, I think. So just curious if if he's like kind of went off to die, if we're ever going to see him or if that was just kind of like left open ended. And then who gives the Vorlon authorities to do this with the Inquisitors? Like, why do they need to question or or check people's dedication who put them in charge basically like why are they the ones making these decisions prediction wise i think that the momentum with the uh narns is going to keep growing and i think now that they've fully accepted jakar as their leader i think jakar is going to start really focusing on how to get their world back um and i really liked how he just finally feels like he's ready to take charge so i think we're gonna see more of that and i also think we're gonna see more of people sympathizing with the narns and helping them like you know for example with garibaldi helping him out because he didn't lie to him or whatever uh i think that that's just the beginning of people siding with the narns and and almost like kind of helping them and not saying that anyone's against the centauris or whatever but i do feel like we're gonna see a lot more narn uh assistance as we go along and i think that's it perfect justin what have you got for us bring us home all right so questions how many more inquisitors are there who else is an inquisitor are they all bad people are they all good people like if jack cannot be the only inquisitor out there so like who else how many inquisitors out there who are they all torturing and interviewing that is something maybe I hope that can be answered. Question number two. Will there be a more organized smuggling effort on B5 on behalf of the Narns? And how more involved will the B5 staff be in trying to help the Narns 
resist against the Centauri. And then uh, buckle up, Buttercup. Here are some of my predictions. <laughs> so, talking earlier about the Narns visiting Earth, the Vorlons are the basis for a lot of Earth religions. I made a comment earlier in a previous episode about you know the Nar, you know about, about the Vorlons being angels. Are you know they are the basis for a lot of Earth mythological history. So you know whether they be angels, they be gods, the biblical stories. All the biblical stories that, you know, Sebastian, a.k.a. Jack the Ripper, talked about during his interrogation of Delenn, where does that come from? Are they the basis for, you know, Job, the, the, the story of Job, Job rising directly into heaven? Was Jesus someone who was extricated by the Vorlons directly up? Like, the Vorlons... You know, are the Vorlons the basis for a lot of what we, for Christian history, for Muslim history, for, you know, for Buddhism, you know, are, what do the Vorlons play into human religious history? And that is something that I have to buy more yarn because I've ran out. So we'll save that for another day. Are we talking like Kasha's Ark or what are we like? Kosh gathered up one of two of every animal. It may, it may be, you know, honestly. Wings. I heard wings. Kosh. Yeah. Kosh. Kosh may be. Kosh, you know, the Vorlons, maybe not Kosh himself. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he was playing poker that day. But (laughs) the Vorlons are definitely the basis for a lot of Earth religious history. Prediction. My job. Blake's face just, is priceless. Well, now I just really hope we get to see Jesus on Babylon 5. <laughs> Maybe we will. We saw Jack what the was, Ripper. I feel like Right, space we saw Jesus Jack the Ripper. And I will only confirm what Scott has said is you will see Elvis at some point on Babylon 5. Please tell me he's played by Bruce Campbell. He's another inquisitor, and that one just gets wild. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, well, you know what? Maybe, you know what? Maybe Bruce Campbell plays Elvis. Maybe Jared Leto plays Jesus. We don't know. So we'll see what happens. Jared Leto would be uh, a good place Jesus. Jesus. Is, that, is that all of our questions and predictions now? Effort is space Jesus. Oh, God. Space Jesus and angels on Earth. Let's do it. And this is where we lose all our followers. Yes. <laughs> no kidding. The, the never-ending ending. <laughs> Maybe Jesus all, is a warlock. No. We don't know. All righty. So I think that is all that we have for Comes the Inquisitor. We are almost at the end of season two. We have one more episode left. Uh, next week, we will be discussing The Fall of Night, which is our season two finale. And make sure to check us out after that. We're going to do another live season two wrap up. If you follow us on Twitter, we are currently doing another bracket voting on the favorite episode slash best episodes of season two to see what comes out on top. So make sure to check out our Twitter polls to get your chances in to vote for that. Again, I have been Blake hosting this evening while Scott is lost in the hyperspace that is New Orleans. We wish him the best in finding his way back from that one. For those unfamiliar with our show, now that we've discussed with our newbies the episode, the first ones are going to go beyond the rim and discuss all of these questions and predictions, including who's right, who's wrong, and who is just downright got the yarn stretched a little too tight. Again, I am Blake, and with me tonight has been... Emily. 
Nicole. Justin. Kevin. And Jesse. No more. Don't worry. And Let's move fuck on. You too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That my defense. I'm high on cold medicine. I don't know what the rest of y'all's problem is. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared approved or licensed by warner brothers or any other owners of the babylon 5 copyright all clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders they are included here for purpose of review and no infringement is intended the opening and closing themes are available from falling matter on youtube and what's out there the rim and beyond that the truth All right, everybody, welcome back. For those of you who are still listening who have not seen Babylon 5 and the episode Comes the Inquisitor, make sure to drop off now because we are about to go through all of the spoilers for our newbies' questions and predictions. And back with us, we have a couple people that we managed to find along the way. We've got Mike back with us, and Scott has been found from his little detour through the hyperspace that is New Orleans. Scott, Mike, welcome back. I was... uh... While you guys were talking about Jack the Ripper, I was walking around French Quarter trying not to get Jack the Ripper, so it was fine. I, I would think French Quarter would be more getting vampired, wouldn't it? Well, I did have some vampire blood, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> so let's get into our newbies question, shall we? Will Veer continue to work for Londo, or will he get fed up and leave? Well, he gets frustrated a few times, but he stays in his service. It's, it's one of those things where, you know... Veer disappoints Londo a couple times, and Londo disappoints Veer quite a bit. But in the end, they're kind of joined at the hip. That's it. But we also see Londo recognizes Veer doesn't have the stomach for this. And, you know, we've talked a few times about the whole uh, Abraham Lincoln plot where Veer starts doing his best to divert refugees. He does that because Londo gets him assigned as the Centauri liaison to Mimbar. Yep, that's... That's what I was going to get into is uh, Veer doesn't leave because Londo pushes him away. And I think at the end of the day, too, obviously, we're going to find out that Veer and Londo become very close friends. And Veer is the one who salutes Londo after he's passed and sleeping in light and all that good stuff. So I I think Veer, for a couple of reasons, sticks with Londo. One, friendship, but also two, when you're close to power, you can make some change yourself. And some certainly some loyalty along the line, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Veer's just a good dude. I mean, there's just no... I mean, he, he turns a blind eye more than he should, certainly, and is more involved than, than a good guy should be. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's he's a good guy, and he would have never done some of those things on his own, but he did follow orders. He he did some stuff that he shouldn't have, but, um, you know, he, he is, you know, Londo's half the guy that Veer is as far as uh, being being stand-up guy and having, having – a code of ethics, a code of ethics, which Veer shows when he marries a woman who 
you know, thinks thinks very poorly of the Narn, and you know, he pushes back against that. I would call her the Jack the Ripper too, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, you know, and I think the relationship between Veer and Londo is is more than friends. I, you know, Londo was a mentor to Veer, but I honestly think that with Veer's own you know, family woes, I think Londo is something of a father figure to Veer for, for better or worse, right? Absolutely. All right, we ready to move on from Veer and get into the Inquisitor and Vorlon. So our first question is, how many more Inquisitors are there? Who are well, they? Are they all bad people? Kind of a whole little series on Inquisitors, uh, which for Mike and Scott, who weren't on the main show, Emily really took an issue with Jack the Ripper of all people being used by the Vorlons for this role. So really had some questions around how many more and are they all terrible people? Before we answer that question, a little quick story about that. Emily texted me while she was watching the episode and said, this guy's an asshole. He's the only thing that make him worse is if he was Jack the Ripper himself. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're not done with the episode yet. Enjoy. She very rightfully had a problem with Jack the Ripper being put in a position where he was able to torture, you know, another woman. And I, I get that. And, I, you know, that's not lost upon me. But, you know, I I still really enjoy the plot twist at the end of this episode. I thought it was I thought it was really good. And, you know, it's it's a favorite episode of mine. I get that it's not easy to watch. It's not supposed to be easy to watch. It's a tough one, but, you know, and I also stand by what I said too. I wish there had been maybe one more scene with, with Sheridan involved too. With that too. I mean, that's the point. You can be upset that Jack the Ripper is having to take out or deal with the limb, but that is the entire point. The Vorlons wanted somebody who could get on that level and who could cause pain and strife and break people. So, yeah, if you come into this thinking the Vorlons are nice guys, well, then, yeah, that's a shit deal. The Vorlons aren't nice guys. And I'm mm. hoping that our newbies are starting to see that, maybe not with the angelic form of Kosh, but the Vorlons are just as negative an issue in the galaxy that the Shadows are. So I, 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 I get her frustration, but that's the point. Yeah, but I don't think from what they've seen of the show so far that there's any anything that should make them think that you know i think at this point in the show uh, the vorlons seem like the the fairy godmother that swoops in and saves the day at the last minute yeah other than a hint here and there i would agree with you mike i mean you know there's death walker and there's you know a couple other small examples where you know kosh or the vorlons in general don't seem very good but you can really easily overlook that i mean if they're willing to overlook nearly everything with londo and still kind of think he's mm -hmm. an okay guy here and there they're going to look over that stuff with the borderline well and arguably even the death walker thing i mean yeah they came in and they made a choice for the whole universe but I'll, depending on how you look at it they maybe made the right decision Granted. for the whole universe right well and this is why inquisitor is my favorite episode of the season which is why i was upset that i was drunk while you guys were recording it um but the <laughs> whole point behind uh, you get more of the moving of the story in this episode than you even do mm -hmm. in the fall of night you learn more about delin and sheridan of course but you also learn so much more about the vorlons so sure you're right guys they haven't gotten enough information that the vorlons are nasty but now they have this episode tells you that yeah. yes and no i mean i'll say that too and, and i don't feel the best about this episode and, and the whole jack the ripper angle either because to me by the end of this episode 
and all the nasty stuff that has happened, they end up kind of trying to play the Inquisitor off as he has been punished by the Vorlons for his transgressions. And he almost has like, they're, it feels to me like they're almost trying to redeem him or make him repentant for his past crimes, which is something that just doesn't really sit well with me either. And even as somebody who's seen the entire series, I still don't think that Delenn's life was ever really at risk. I could be I could be wrong, but I still don't think that there was a possibility that she would, you know, she would die from what was going on. I think it was a test that she passed. If she had failed, she would have been essentially fired. Uh no, I think she would have died. I think I think I think Jack was telling him exactly what was happening. If you continue to fight and I don't take these manacles off, they're going to kill you. So either you run away screaming or you die because no one has passed this test in hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But Mike, to your point, I don't see it that way. I, I can I can see where you're coming from and I can see it, but I don't see it that way because even Sheridan, Jack doesn't say I've been redeemed. Jack says, maybe they'll let me die now. And Sheridan says, hopefully you do. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think he was stating that he felt like he had redeemed himself, but he seemed as though he was feeling regret over his past actions or that he had seen the error of his ways okay i see what you're saying he kind of said that to sheridan initially when when uh uh the tables were turned and sheridan tried to you know interrogate him a little bit from the get-go that he said um something to the effect of you know i'm here to do a job um i've seen what i've seen um and then at the end you know i kind of got the same impression you did mike yeah, I mean, I kind of have that issue with any piece of sci-fi or other fiction or, you know, dramatization where they take characters based on real life people and, and they represent them in a certain way. And I, I never feel like it's probably very fair or very accurate. And even more so when you have something super mysterious, right? Like Jack the Ripper is a just an unsolved historical mystery and it just feels weird to sort of dust it with some rose petals at the end after the horrificness of those crimes see i don't think it was so much the rose petals though i know i, I that was the position though because for me i mean some of the lines of dialogue is you know jack sebastian was talking about how he thought he had a purpose he thought yeah. he had been chosen to do something and the vorlon showed him how wrong he was and so on the flip side of that you've got delin who also has that belief and you get that last line of know this that you are the right people in the right place at the right time it's that juxtaposition of someone who thought they had that purpose or a purpose Mm. for the wrong reasons versus the real deal and to me it was that juxtaposition and that's why they needed jack the ripper type character to make that work and wayne alexander sold the hell out of it by the way oh absolutely it's interesting you know that you know, such a different character he plays later because he played this so dang well and he played Lorianne later so well. And, you know, they they have a way of finding those those actors and then bringing them back for either the same or different things. I mean, you look at John Vickery playing uh, playing Narun and then coming back and playing, you know, another part or two, um, you know, very different usually, but uh, spot on each time typically. Let's not even talk about how different this character was compared to Vern from Spaced Invaders, 
<laughs> oh Arguably his most famous role. There you go. I cannot tell you Here how many times Mike and I have watched Space Invaders, and it's it's always a classic. Uh, the donut been, of destruction. The it has been too long, and if we, we don't do it. a Gray Seventeen watch along this year for Halloween, I will oh, lose dude, my I, mind. We could we could do so many. We got Monster Squad. We got Space Invaders. I refuse to watch Monster Squad again. Thank you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, I watched that a few times. We watched that for Front Row a couple of years ago, and I cannot get out of my head how horrible that movie was. <laughs> it's it's not great. Old man's got nards. I mean, and it's not like that was the first time I had seen it, but it was definitely a uh, a, a point of no return. I'm going to herd the cats back along here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it, so we kind of touched on, does the Inquisitor go off to die? That's, you know, he said that was his hope. Uh, the newbies want to know, does he actually die or will we see the Inquisitor again? No. No. Do not see him again. We, we don't know. And no, you don't see him again. See but the again. bigger question that came up out of this is, who gives the Vorlons the authority to do these type of uh, checks on people's dedication or fitness for the roles? <laughs> the Vorlons. The Vorlons. Power power does yeah that's that again i mean obviously when kosh 2.0 shows up they're gonna figure it out but the vorlons aren't good people kosh well, has done a redemption arc himself for that very reason and as we're gonna see next week when we've got the finale episode and kosh leaves his encounter suit to save sheridan's ass everybody sees their own version of a religious icon right mm-hmm. yeah that's going to be the big reveal justin was right about angels we've been gaslighting him it's phenomenal check out next week when we uh <laughs> drop that bombshell on him but you know they've almost programmed it into people this deference to what the vorlons want because they're viewed whenever kosh exposes himself to delin outside of the encounter suit she sees valeria the a god figure in mimbari culture so of course she's going to yield to his authority right so the last question we have is, will there be more organized smuggling efforts on behalf of the Narn, and how involved will the B-5 crew become in helping the Narns? And Coney is coming. Well, that's not smuggling weapons, but still. Sure is smuggling Narns, for sure. Well, and the B-5 crew, pretty much their security force gets replaced by Narns. Yeah. Garibaldi, you know, is instrumental for a while at helping them do various things, and so are the, so are the Rangers. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know that they talk a great deal more about, about weapons, you know, throughout the rest of the series, it's more, more of the smuggling efforts of individual Narns and groups of Narns. Well, the irony here is going to be, it's not going to be Sheridan or Ivanova or Dylan who frees the Narns, who ultimately gets rid of the Centauri for them. It's Londo. Mm -hmm. That's in exchange for Jakar kills Cartesia and Londo says, this is a sign that we just need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Let's not hang out in Afghanistan anymore when we have to. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think that covers us for questions. So let's check out the predictions that some of our newbies had. And the first was that the crew on B5 will become more personally invested in the Narn struggle. I would say so. Yeah, that's that's true. Especially when they become their security force, they're probably going to be a little bit more invested too. Following along with that is, you know, more Narn assistance as we go along. We've kind of covered that with the question in the last one. Uh, but another prediction is that Jakar will get caught smuggling weapons and face trial for it. It's not why he's going to face trial. No. He's going no. to face trial because he let he goes gets caught. And he beats the shit out of Londo. 
Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, so he'll get, he will face trial on B5, but then he will face trial by the Centauri. Yeah, so, yeah. Cocaine's a wonderful drug. Yeah, which, uh, you know, who who of us haven't wanted to beat the shit out of Londo, but, you know. Yeah, uh, we could list some of our newbies that still think he has that little spark of decency. <laughs> hey, sir, we haven't recorded that episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> they've said it already, though. They've, yeah, they've said it multiple they've times. They've said it before we record that episode. I know. They'll it's just say it again in a week. It's almost like we're recording this beyond the rim in the future. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Damn space-time continuum bullshit. There's some, tachyons There's some tachyons. Londo will find out about Garibaldi assisting with the smuggling and turn on Babylon 5, resulting in another war. No. No. So we've kind of covered a lot of the other ones to do with uh, the momentum towards the Narns and Jakar starting to focus on getting their world back, as well as more sympathy for the Narns. But the one prediction that hit on is Jakar will lead more. And that one is spot on. Oh, yeah. And you're starting to see hints of that, uh, yeah. both in this episode and then the next episode. Jakar is trying to find a way to get his balance back into trying to find a way to become a leader again, or more so of a leader than he ever was. And, of course, Kevin, as you just alluded to, he's going to fall down even farther before he actually gets there. But I, I just love the path of Jakar from maniacal mustache-twirling asshole to religious icon. Yeah. Well, I love that line when Delenn finally tells him everything. Mm-hmm. And Ship you see appears. the ultimate evolution of Jakar when he looks at Delenn and goes, if you told me this a year ago, I would have killed you. Well, and, you know, she even says later after that, I, I think you were not the person that I I first met here a few years ago, and he yeah. definitely is not. No, nope. Well, Mike, and he's your favorite, so. Yeah, absolutely. He's got an amazing story arc. Yeah, and as characters on this show go, I mean, I <laughs> I guess you could make an argument from beer playing his Game Boy in the middle of a diplomatic meeting to smuggling refugees as as character growth. But I mean, I think Jakar goes through the, the most dramatic transformation of character of, of anyone in the series. Yeah. I think that's pretty inarguable. Absolutely. Well, and while we're discussing, you know, Veer, Londo, and Jakar, one prediction is Veer's going to kill Londo. Londo <laughs> does get killed. Not, Not so by Veer. Not by Veer. Veer gets his job, though. They were yeah. told on Midnight in the Firing Line who's going to kill Londo. Pay attention, newbies. Pay attention. Yeah. Well, on that subject of paying attention, newbies, I'm, I'm going to jump straight into our Vorlon predictions here because someone's watching ahead on this. <laughs> huh. The Vorlons are the basis for many Earth religions and mythological histories, Bible stories, such as the story of Job or Jesus. Was this Justin? <laughs> yes. It Gee, was. Damn it, Justin, wait till next week. really okay. takes the fun out of gaslighting him, because it means he probably knows that he's right already. <laughs> <laughs> well, we discussed this, what, last season? Kevin, yes. do you think he, like, osmosisly took on the seasons without even knowing it? So he has to have. So, you know... Kevin, Justin, I've been friends for, God, what, 20-plus years now? Yeah. And I know for a fact Kevin and I watched this show at one point. And Justin lived with Kevin. <laughs> yeah, but the thing... had to be something picked up. The thing is, you know, he worked at a hotel. He worked late. You know, I worked at a bank. So I, I was home by, you know, 5, 6 o'clock. So I had, you know, a few hours before he got home. 
Well, I mean, I slept through college classes and still graduated with a passing score. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It was osmosis. He just heard it. I was going to say, I passed, I passed through the room downstairs when my wife is watching like the baking shows, and I generally know who won Top Chef. So, I, yeah, you know. fair enough. <laughs> All right, so let's jump to our last prediction that Delenn is going to sacri- her, sacrifice herself in the coming war, resulting in saving everyone. Nah. Nah. She doesn't need to. No, she shared and takes care of that. Yeah. Delenn is too much of a badass to sacrifice herself. Yep. I, I will say my favorite Delenn scene is still coming up, and it's uh, yes. when the Earth Force destroyers show up at Babylon 5, and she comes out of that jump gate and just does yep. the, the only human to ever defeat one of us, our ships is behind me. You're in front of me. Be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Love that line. So I think that covers all of our questions and predictions from our newbies. Uh, Scott, Mike, you weren't on for the main show, but do you want to give us any of your impressions or thoughts on this episode? Go for it, Scott. I was going to say go for it, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, You know, to be honest, I'm kind of lukewarm on this episode. Um, It is is interesting mixing history and sci-fi and and the the momentum of the plot overall is is good, but... um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just not one that grips me quite as much as as uh, the fall of night. Yeah, for me, I, I'm the exact opposite. I've already said this is my favorite episode of the season. I think the acting is extraordinary. I think I always love little box episodes, and the reason why this episode is the way it is, and JMS called it out because they had to spend a crap ton of money on the fall of night. So. I love episodes where you stick a couple people in a room and let them bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, I, I I can't wait till the episode where Sheridan eats a sandwich. It's going to be amazing. Um, but uh, what I like about this episode more so than anything else is the, the theme of sacrifice, but sacrifice not for the greater good or the universe or whatever, just because you have somebody you care about and you're not going to let them get hurt. I like that. And actually, this theme carries over to next week's episode because Kosh makes the exact same choice that Dylan and Sheridan make. He sacrifices what he has to help Sheridan. When really, in the grand scheme of things, based on the Vorlon's plans, he didn't need to do that. As Jack says in this episode, there's always somebody else. Kosh made a choice, the same choice that Dylan and Sheridan make in this episode. And I think that theme carries through the entire rest of the show. And so that's why I like this. And Sebastian is fun to watch. Sorry, Emily. He is. Wayne Alexander really is such a good yeah. actor. It's it's a shame that we don't see him in more stuff. There's got to be some headcanon out there that actually Sebastian is Lorian, just like, you know, hiding. Got to be in there somewhere. Oh, somewhere. No, don't tell that to Emily. So I think that covers it here for Beyond the Rim, uh, where we have discussed Comes the Inquisitor. Join us back here next week on Gray 17, where we are going to discuss the fall of night with our newbies. And tell Justin that he was actually right about angels all along. I've been Blake, and with me has been... Kevin. Scott. And Mike. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Let's go back to the past or into the future or whatever. Where are we going? I don't know. Back in time. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Nice. Good luck to you in your holy cause, Captain Sheridan. May your choices have better results than mine. Remembered not as a messenger. Remembered not as a reformer. Not as a prophet. Not as a hero. Not even as Sebastian. Remembered only. 
as Jack.